Theism is that the triune God, who personally created the universe, now sustains it and is involved in normal human affairs. this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, authorities, excuse me, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subject in subjugation, excuse me, subjection, excuse me, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So in order to understand this passage, we need to have a biblical view of God. And I say this Because there are many people living, breathing today that say they are Christians that do not have a biblical view of the God of the Bible. So, point number one, there is one triune God who is involved in our daily affairs by choice. So the title of the sermon, 321, here we go. We have a triune God, three in one. There is one triune God who is involved in our daily affairs by choice. There are two schools of thought out there. One is deism, and the other one is theism. Now, uh, what are these things? Probably everyone has at least a grasp on a basic idea of what they are. But deism is the idea that God was personally involved. He personally created the universe, much like a watchmaker makes a watch. So just as all the pieces go together and then they are clasped together, this is the view deists have of God. God made the watch, and then he wound up the watch, he set it on the dresser, and went away to watch from a distance. So deism is the idea that God has set up all things and now is no longer active in them. So, in deism, it is foolish to pray. Why? Because when we pray, we expect God to act. 
right? We expect God to reach down from his timelessness into time, and we expect him to act on our behalf. It's what we are doing when we're asking for prayer. We're asking God's will be done. We're asking for him to be active in the world that he created. You know, uh, deism is really interesting. It's believed that several of our founders were actually uh, deists. So we have John Adams and Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. And the belief is that this nation was, was built and was not a Christian nation in its foundings, which is false. Now, was our nation a Christian nation? We know that's not true. But our nation was founded on Christian principles. Anyone that says anything other than this is lying. And I will show that to you. They usually pick out these three guys and say, see what they said? They were deists. They didn't even really believe that God could be active in a nation such as this. I believe in one God, creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped, that the most acceptable service we render to him is doing good to his other children. Does this sound like a deist to you? No. Who said it? It's Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin, if you ever read his autobiography, he was not, not a deist. Ben Franklin prayed and expected God to act in the world he created. He expected God to act in these United States, to act on the behalf of good. So we have another guy that everyone, and this is the guy that everybody rips on all the time. Jefferson's 1779 prayer proclamation says this, in 1779, Jefferson again called his state to prayer. If you are a deist, it is a dumb thing for you to pray because God has already settled all things. He's already wound up the watch. He set it on the dresser and he's walked away. There's no reason to expect him to do anything. But in 1779, Thomas Jefferson called his state to prayer, asking the people to give thanks for the glorious light of the gospel. Interesting, because another one of the things that Thomas Jefferson is continually accused of is never mentioning the gospel or Christ. But here we see, give thanks For the glorious light of the gospel, whereby through the merits of our gracious Redeemer, we may become the heirs of his eternal glory. Thomas Jefferson had some crazy ideas. I'm not going to argue with you about that. But was he a deist? Now, he fully expected God to operate and to uh, work within this nation and within the world that he created. This guy, I have, no, I have no idea how anyone could possibly say John Adams was a deist. It took John Adams for a month trip longer than anyone else to get to any of the conventions that he went to, to go to combat. Why is that? Because he refused to travel on Sundays. Refused. Why? Because Sunday's the Sabbath. It's the Christian Sabbath. So he wasn't going to travel. So he was always one day behind all of his traveling um, companions because he would not travel on the Sabbath out of biblical principle. John Adams, he devoted four days a week to studying only the Bible. That's it. The other three days he split up into two different weeks. So on this week, for three days, he would study Latin and only Latin. Latin literature, Latin books. And on the next week, he would study only British and English literature and books. And he would completely, uh, totally go through this revolution, reading Latin, reading the Bible, 
reading English, reading the Bible. This was his pattern for life. He said in his letter from Adams to Rush, 1809, the Holy Ghost carries on the whole Christian system in this earth. Not a baptism, not a marriage, not a sacrament can be administered but by the Holy Ghost. There is no authority, civil or religious. There can be no legitimate government but that which is administered by this Holy Ghost. There can be no salvation without it. All without it is rebellion and perdition. Or, in more orthodox words, damnation. Damnation. That is crazy. So we have this idea here of deism. Remember, don't leave this, don't leave this without having a good, strong idea of what it is. Deism believes, hey, <laughs> deism is the belief <laughs> that there is a God that has created all things and then he let it all go. So now it's completely our responsibility. God will not act. And on the opposite end, is this idea of theism. Theism is that the triune God, who personally created the universe, now sustains it and is involved in normal human affairs. In this church, we are theists. We believe that when we pray, God is going to reach down from timelessness into time and do certain things. Now, does that mean that we believe God is a genie? Absolutely not. Here is God's will. Here is where we are. God's will will be done. Amen? Amen. There are a lot of different ways God's going to go about getting there. He's going to use a lot of different things. In prayer, we ask God for certain things, and sometimes that's a path he's going to take, sometimes it's not. But God is intimately involved in our daily affairs. Theism is the biblical view. Literally, this is what the Bible teaches. So, The implications are that God cares about and is involved in the ordinary affairs of mankind. Which means we can pray and expect God to work within creation, not as some distant God out there somewhere, but as the God who cares deeply about our welfare. As theists, it means when you pray about something, God is actually listening to you. Now, does that mean that God is going to do exactly what you want when you want him to do it? No, God is not a genie. God is not the force from Star Wars. The triune God does listen to our prayers. And if it's within his will, he will work in those ways. When we call and we ask God to bring healing, I believe that God will heal if it is his will. And he does because he is intimately involved in our lives. You know, a passage that, um, it's my best friend's favorite passage. It says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. What sense would that passage make if we did not serve a God that was intimately involved in our human affairs? He cares for you. So we can cast our cares on him. This is theism. This is our foundation. There is a triune God who created all things with meaning and purpose and has a plan for how they are to be Run. So, point number one, very important. It's the three. The triune God has created all things and is intimately involved in them. Point number two, government done God's way is for our good. Government done God's way is for our good. And immediately, what we want to do is we want to identify with the good guy. We always do that. You know, 
when you watch Star Wars, you always want to identify with, with the rebel force, you know? You read through the Bible, and you read David and Goliath, you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm with David. You know, we read through the New Testament, we're like, I'm with the disciples. We always want to identify with the good guy. Of course we do. We want our political party to be the right political party. But we have to look at these things biblically. Government done God's way is for our good. Romans 13, 1-4 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So I want everyone to breathe that in for a second. The authorities that are in place, no matter when they've been throughout all history, throughout all time, have been put there by God. Does that mean that Adolf Hitler was allowed to come to power? Yes. Does it mean that God ordained all of the things that Adolf Hitler did? Absolutely not. These kings that turned wicked in the Old Testament, did God allow them to come to power? All God's people said, yes. Did God require them to sacrifice their children on an altar? All God's people said, no. No. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. The government has two jobs, and only two jobs. That's it. Two jobs. So we have in our heads this idea that somewhere, somehow, that the government has all of these different jobs God has given them to do and they need to carry out all of these things. It's not the way it is. So three, there is a triune God who created all things and has an order that he expects his world to operate in and is intimately involved in these things. And number two, the government has two jobs. Every authority was established by God with two jobs. The approval of those who do good and punishment of those who do wicked. That's it. That is it. Governments that operate outside of these two roles eventually will collapse, as do the nations they rule over. So I want everyone to just think for a second. When Rome came in and took over Israel, did God allow that? All God's people said, yeah. The atrocities that Rome performed in that place, was that, was that, did God want that to happen? No, did, did God want those people to sacrifice their children and, and to split up in their marriages and, and have marriages with 70 people? No, God didn't want any of those things. God already said what he wanted. So he allows these people to come into power and they have a choice whether or not to do it God's way or do it their own way. They did it their own way and they fell. And every single nation that decides that they are going to operate outside of God's biblical commands, every single nation will feel the same fate. Now, America was not in the New Testament. We all know that. It's not in the Old Testament. Now, there are these people that do all these mathematical problems, these end-of-timers that are like, oh, well, maybe the seventh horn was America, or tenth horn was... No, it's not. It's, it's not. That's not there. Somehow we believe, you know, well, but maybe, maybe this was. That's not it. It's, it's not there. There may be another nation that rises up. As a matter of fact, there possibly could be, within the next few years, another nation that rises up and becomes a nation. doesn't mean that nation was spoke about in the Bible. And if that nation decides to become a nation and they collect up their people and they set up a government, God has ordained that and allowed that thing to happen. And if they don't do it God's way, they will crash. 
Why? Why is that? That's right. <laughs> They're no longer operating by the precepts of God. And this is scary if you think about this for a second. When a nation rises up and they decide that the government should be the one to decide the fate of the people, that is not ordained by God. Not. The government has no place. I'm not talking about the American government in particular. I'm talking about all governments have no place in the issue of life. None. None. They have no place in whether someone dies or whether someone lives that has not broken the law. So, when a nation no longer operates by the precepts of God, but rather in the place of God, they crash. They will fold. Because someone has to be God. And no one is strong enough to do that but God himself. So recap real quick. Real quick. Three, the triune Godhead has instituted governments. Two, those governments have but two jobs. And number one, we have but one job with regard to the government. Just one. One job to those authorities that God has established. What is that? We, we have to be God's disciples. We have to submit to the authorities that God has put in place. Submit. The word that none of us like, but hear all the time. You have to submit. You have to submit. We don't like it. We don't like the idea of submission because we want to be our own man. We want to be our own woman. We want to be our own gods. It says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from who? God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist, resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. We'll stop right there. What does submission look like? This submission that we're called to, what exactly does it look like? Well, a couple things. Number one is not resisting a government carrying out its God-given duties. Not resisting a government carrying out its God-given duties. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So what's our job there? Not resisting a government carrying out its God-given duties. I want everyone to pay careful attention to this. I worded it this way on purpose. This is biblical. The government called out to Peter and said, stop preaching in this name. What did he say? Whether or not we should obey you rather than God, you decide. So there is a time, yes, there is a time when the government, governments all over the place, I'm not speaking of America in particular, governments all over the place try to tell us to do something unbiblical. And at that point, they are no longer carrying out their God-given duties. 
No longer. So one, we don't resist when they're doing their God-given duties. Number two, we do good. It's real simple, real easy. It's right from the passage. We do good. Look at what it says here. Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. You know how simple life would be if we just lived according to God's precepts. I'm not saying that it would be easy at all times, but it would be simple. When I say simple, I mean less complex. We have all of these decisions before us, and we're like, well, I feel like I should do it this way, or I feel like I should do it this way. I feel like this isn't the way to be. And if you think about this for just a second, every single time we throw this out here and say, this is what I feel I should do, we bring some sort of strange fire into the camp. And we live in a way that God has not called us to. So number one, we submit. Number two, we do good. What's the government going to do when you do good? What's the government's job when you do good? To acknowledge that. To acknowledge and to serve those that do good. Now, sometimes within our lives, a government goes and serves someone that does evil. That means that the government is not living according to their God-given precepts. That is wrong. If that government continues down that path, that government and the nation that they serve will crumble. This is biblical. Number three, one that we are all going to love, pay your taxes. All God's people said, aww. What? Okay, so here's the way things work. So we all know, if you are to run a household, you need money. Can I get an Amen. You need money to survive off from. If the bank account says zero, you're not going to be able to effectively run your household. In order for the government to do their two jobs, not three jobs, not four jobs, not six jobs, their two jobs to reward the good, to acknowledge the good, and to punish the wicked, they need money to do this. Money to do this. What is included in, in rewarding the good? How about protecting us? How about making sure that if there is uh, some sort of threat against us, either foreign or domestic, that the government steps in and takes care of business? This is biblical. We can see this all throughout the Old Testament. See this in the New Testament. It is serious. The government's job is huge, even with these two things. Think about that for a second. If God ordains you to do something and your only two jobs is to acknowledge the good, to reward the good, to steward to the good, to serve the good, and to punish the wicked. That's a big task. What if the wicked is an entire nation that's coming against you? The government has a big job. What if there is a threat of nuclear war in these United States? Then the government's job is to do what? To protect us. Well, that takes money. It takes money for the government to operate and to do its two jobs, not three jobs, not four jobs, it's two jobs. So you and I need to pay our taxes. You say, well, where'd you get that? I, I don't really remember you showing that to us. It's here, okay? Underline it if you don't believe me. It's here. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Because of this, you also pay, what's the word? Taxes. That's right, Matthew was a tax collector. And what did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. You know, 
We all hate this part of the passage. We do. Let's just be honest here. Can I get an amen? We don't like to pay taxes, but it's, what, it's what's required of us biblically. Pay our taxes so the government can do its two jobs, not three, not four, but two. And lastly, and the biggest one out of all of them, yes, even bigger than paying your taxes, is act toward leaders with honor and respect. And I will honestly say in the United States for the past 20 years, there's been very little of this. It's gotten worse and worse and worse, and it's ripping people apart. And as a pastor in a church, I can't stand it. It's one thing to um, hold to your values. It's another thing to denigrate others because of that. We need to act toward leaders with honor and respect, both. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We have all been in situations in our lives where there's been an authority over us. And I want to draw this into this point. When the Bible says authorities, the Bible is not talking necessarily only about the government. The Bible is talking about all forms of government. What are the four great governments? Self-government, family government, Church government, civil government. It means within the family, yes, there is an authority. Within the church, yes, there is an authority. Within our civil government, yes, there are authorities. We need to respect who is owed respect, honor who we owe honor to. If we all remember that God has placed these authorities in place for his purposes, and yes, his purposes are for our good, they're for our benefit, they are. So, yes, there are some people that are going to make stupid decisions. Yes. And we've seen lots of them. Back in the 80s, we've seen lots of stupid decisions. 90s, we've seen lots of stupid decisions. 2000s, lots of stupid decisions. Even in today, yes, we see stupid decisions, but it doesn't mean that we can disrespect or dishonor the leaders that God has put in place. There's too much of this. Way too much of this. Now, this can be outside the church, yes, but it should never, ever be in the church. It shouldn't. We need to respect whom is owed respect and honor those whom we owe honor to. And these are those that God has put in front of us. So there is a God. And he cares deeply for what is happening here in our town. In our town, there are lots of matters that are in front of us. Even right now, we have all kinds of crazy things that are in front of us. We need to think about, pray about. What's happening in your town is important. You were put here for a reason, to serve as God's witness in Waverly, New York, Sarah, Pennsylvania, Athens, Pennsylvania, wherever you're from. You're placed in that town to serve as God's witness. So it's important, yes, that you remember the authorities that are over you. But not only does God care about what's happening in our town, he also cares deeply about what's happening in our nation. And there are people out there that are saying, oh, well, now you, you, know, you pastors are going to be out there this Sunday, and you're going to be forcing this down our throats that, that God cares so much about what's happening in the United States, everything else falls by the wayside. No. No. But God does care. If abortion becomes the law of the land, that is against God's command, and that is wrong. That is wrong. If euthanasia becomes the law of the land, that is against God's command, and that is wrong. It should not be. 
God cares deeply for every single person that loses their life by the hands of sinful men. God cares deeply. He cares about what happens in our nation. He cares about, yes, what even happens during this pandemic, whether or not we take the right route and what the right route is. God knows and we don't. We need to seek him for this. Not only does he care about what's happening in our town, in our nation, but it's globally. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and what? The earth. Right? God created these things. God brought order to these things. And God continues to care about how we do business here. God created man and woman. And what did he say? What did he tell us our job is? To be image bearers and to take dominion. He said, fill the earth. Fill the earth. That is our job. That is our God-given duty to rule this place well, to be co-rulers with God Almighty. And it means that we need to seriously consider what is in front of us over these next few years. I'm not talking about nationally. I'm talking about across the whole world. There are a lot of issues that are in front of us. And I ask everyone, don't answer loudly, how much time you've actually spent praying about these things. No matter no matter what, no matter what you believe, where you're from, how much time we've actually spent praying about these things instead of arguing about them. And I guarantee if we were to have a worldwide show of hands across the Christian church, there would be very few of us that have offered more time to prayer than we have to bickering and complaining. So God cares deeply about what happens in our town. God cares deeply what happens in our nation and God cares very deeply about what happens in this world. He created this world with a purpose. He created you and I with a purpose. And we are to seek him in all things that we may know what that is. 